This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. The Lions 24-7 podcast is here with a fresh episode to start off the final week of spring practice for Penn State football. Happy to report that barring any change of plans, Sean Fitz and myself both back in Beaver Stadium on Saturday uh, for the culmination uh, practice number 15 of the spring schedule for Penn State. Not being billed as that big blue-white game fest- festivity, but... Uh, an event inside Beaver Stadium that will feature uh, a mix of fans and students and, and something that's just a little bit different than what we got to see in 2020. So, as we said, a step forward ahead. While Penn State settles in for this last week of spring practices, uh, a couple former Nittany Lions finding their new college homes. we got a lot to talk about recruiting-wise in just a moment, but we'll start there, Sean. Zach Koontz, TJ Jones, guys who were on this Penn State roster uh, just last season, um, announcing in a matter of, I don't know, less than 24 hours apart from each other uh, that they are moving on and, and taking a step down in terms of the FBS landscape. Yeah, it's, and it's still FBS. These schools were bouncing a couple of, uh, of years back, but Zach Kuhn's going to go to Old Dominion. Obviously the connection there, Ricky Ronnie, but if you, if you dig deeper, I mean, he's got to be very familiar with the scene down there in Norfolk. Uh, Kurt Campbell's the offensive coordinator here. He was an analyst at Penn State for a few years. Um, a couple of GA, offensive GAs are now position coaches there and Mark Dupuy and Kevin Rainer. And, uh, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot, there's actually a lot going on at Old Dominion that, uh, oh, and Michael Schuster, I, that was the obvious one. Uh, his high school quarterback also played quarterback at Penn State, now an offensive GA there. Um, so there's a lot going on down in Norfolk. Uh, that where, where Zach Koontz can connect to. And, and that makes sense. It's, it's interesting to me uh, when we first heard about him going into the portal, there were a few schools that needed tight ends very badly. Um, and I don't know that that's the best situation for Zach to walk into. We, we mentioned specifically LSU, which I think has one scholarship tight end, um, on the roster this spring. And now they're, they're waiting to see what Eric Gilbert's going to do, obviously. But I mean, that's a situation where you're basically a rental. And if, and if you don't really pass the guy in front of you, you don't fit in with what they're trying to do. I mean, that could be a recipe for a miserable year for him. So I think dropping down, he can have some success. Obviously we saw a similar situation a few years ago. Um, you know, the, the circumstances were different, but uh, Adam Brenneman dropping to UMass and having a tremendous uh, finish to his college career. Uh, I still think Zach has potential. I think he's got a lot to work with in terms of size, athleticism, all those things that we've uh, checked the boxes for over the years. But uh, this one is, it's going to be fun to see how it works out. He's a hardworking kid. He's a smart kid. Uh, obviously a lot to like, uh, uh, you know, just kind of the total package there, but could never really break through. And if you look at Penn State's tight end room, it didn't really seem like it was going to happen anytime soon. So certainly all the best to Zach. He's been, uh, you know, not really, while well, he hasn't contributed on the field, he's been a, a great guy to, to work alongside with and has always been good to us. So we certainly wish him the best of luck. And I think it's a good fit. We've talked about Kuntz's potential for several years now. And we talked about it when he entered the transfer portal this winter at six foot seven. 
a, a guy who in three years at Penn State, very much overshadowed by the, the kid who came in with him in 2018, uh, Pat Fryermuth, and, and eventually Penn State seemingly uh, recruiting over Zach Kuntz in terms of what they were getting on the practice field, what they're getting on game days. Um, and Zach Kuntz going to you know head down there with three years of eligibility. It feels like he's been around college football for a while, but because of uh, a redshirt year, because of 2020 and what the NCAA did there, uh, he's a sophomore still in, in, in the eyes of eligibility. So an opportunity ahead of him at, at Old Dominion. It's a place that uh, fellow former Penn State blue chip prospect Ricky Slade landed when he transferred out of Penn State at the running back position. We learned this winter, Ricky Slade no longer on that roster at Old Dominion. Uh, but, you know, very clearly the, the connections that Ricky, uh, Ricky Ronnie made during his time on campus and while recruiting some of these guys, he's parlayed that into some additions. It didn't pan out with Ricky Slade. It, you know, looked like a pretty splashy move for the program. Uh, down there in Norfolk, but uh, Zach Kuntz, a guy that that you know you you would imagine here that you just ran off all the different connections. Um, if it's going to work out, this seems to be a spot that, that could happen. And then T.J. Jones is a guy who came in a year after Zach Kuntz as part of that 2019 class. Sean, um, him and John Dunmore, the only wide receivers to sign with Penn State in the 2019 cycle. Uh, T.J. Jones was a later a late addition in that class and. Uh, brought in by one position coach, uh, ends up working with a couple of different position coaches, and, and by the end of the process, plays in nine Penn State games, uh, does not record a single catch during his college career here with the Nittany Lions. He's going to the University of Alabama, uh, Birmingham, and Conference USA. Um, so again, 2019 class, Dunmore uh, set to start his career at FAU this year, I believe, uh, and then TJ Jones uh, heading down a level as well. Both staying in the FBS, uh, but neither recording a catch in a Penn State uniform and then departing the Power 5 scene pretty quickly. It's certainly a miss there in that 2019 class, and receivers seem like uh, a fairly important position. Um, and now, granted, they came behind it in the 2020 class, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, some other guys as well. And I think that probably has something to do with why TJ Jones was looking for another place to play this season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was always a, a good football player, a guy that you, when you put on the, uh, when you put on the tape seemed to have a higher floor than, uh, actually than Dunmore. Um, but, uh, it, it really never worked out. He's going to be closer to home. He's going to have a chance to develop and still he's, he's got freshman eligibility. So plenty of time to go. Um, it was interesting because he, you know, last spring, he was at the top of our projected depth chart. Now that didn't say much in in terms of what Penn State was trotting out there at receiver, uh, but this is a guy that they gave a shot to. He really didn't uh, keep up with uh, with the, the Washingtons, Lambert Smiths, and and some of those other guys. Got some run mostly on special teams, but uh, I mean that's just the, the nature of the position right now. Is, is is it's really competitive and it's really athletic, and you know you fall behind, and and that's the sort of thing that can happen. Yeah, and, and it wasn't just the, the that projected depth chart. It was you know Penn State's official depth chart they put out in, in the day that would have been the blue white game last year. Remember they did some kind of some kind of virtual blue white game deal with with Zoom and fans and and coaches and players. But that same day they also did give us a little bit of insight onto the into the roster with the depth chart. And when we saw that, you saw T.J. Jones uh, listed as a starter, and, and by the end of the year. Um, you kind of forgot that he was a part of it. He, he, he got out there. He saw some snaps during the course of 
the season, wasn't completely restricted to the sideline. But again, no catches and a guy that, that by the end of the year, uh, you really had to be to know who you were looking for to really be aware that TJ Jones was was a part of the plan at wide receiver um, over the course of the 2020 season, Sean. So he'll move forward with another program. Zach Koontz will move forward with another program. Uh, and we're starting to get some answers on, on where guys are going to land for this 2021 year. Um, remember, a, a lot of guys already have found their homes. Judge Culpepper uh, moved on to Toledo. You had uh, Antonio Shelton end up with the, with the Florida Gators. Lance Dixon with West Virginia. Uh, might be missing a couple here in between, but um, you know it, it's nice to see guys find that next spot because the later you get, you kind of were wondering about some of these players not going to be with the program for spring practice. Uh, all of a sudden, spring semesters are starting to creep up near their conclusion across colleges, and, and you, you hope that things would work out where a guy is finding that second opportunity because you certainly do not want to go into the summer without a concrete plan if, if you're a guy who wants to play college football this fall. It's a heck of a filibuster, sir. As my uh, kid gets home, my dog barks, and you just talk over all of it to uh, to make us sound like that we're a seemingly well-oiled machine. So I appreciate the uh, the covering on that one. But yeah, uh, these these guys are popping up, and and a lot of them dropping down. I mean, uh, obviously Shelton's the one that kind of turned heads with with him going to Florida. Um, but uh, yeah, for for the most part, you, you're looking for a place to play. That's kind of what the portal is there for, and and that's where we see Penn State's uh, portal transitions finding themselves here at the end. Of spring we will circle back to the transfer portal for a mailbag question a little bit later on uh, but there is big recruiting news on the horizon in the NCAA uh, some long-awaited recruiting news and we're going to discuss that in a moment but in case you didn't get enough of Brian Doan on our last episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast the national 24-7 sports recruiting analyst uh, was on a phone call with Sean Fitz earlier today on Monday and Sean said you want to push record again and so you did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it was just funny because we were talking and he had so many of these, these notes. Cause I mean, let's be honest, we haven't had events like this for over a year now. So it was just a little refreshing, uh, sort of uh, conversation in terms of, oh, we can actually talk about football. So I was like, hey, let's come on this. Uh, he, he joined Blair and, and Gulu for the uh, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Podcast, talk a little bit more in depth about Anthony Ivey and Makai Flowers and Ken Talley. We covered some different things. I mean, obviously, we covered the commits, but we covered a few different things, targets, uh, a few overarching themes in recruiting as we do don't typically like to have somebody on back to back but if it's going to be anybody it's going to be dome because the uh the response we got from him being on the last episode last week was really good and hopefully this one will uh will follow it up pretty nicely well here is that conversation you had with brian and and as you said fresh off the camp circuit we hope to have more news coming off of, of fields at different camps in the coming months this is a great start and here is brian dome breaking down the latest from the recruiting trail Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Well, we just had him on last episode, but he was so great, we decided to bring him back. Also, to be quite honest with you, Tyler and I, not a ton to talk about today. Um, and then I was talking to Brian Doan of 24-7 Sports, who we welcome in now on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I was talking to him earlier today. He's like, 
mentioning all these things from this event he went to this weekend and a lot of it's Penn State related. So I was like, hey, why don't we take up a little bit more of your time, get you back on the podcast? And you were like, awesome. And yes. uh, definitely, yes. definitely enthused about it. So Brian, thank you for coming back on and joining us twice in a week. Oh, what an honor it is. And, you know, I just hope either Amazon or FedEx stop by today again. Yeah. I mean, it's always it's always fun with us uh, over on this side. You knew that. But uh, <laughs> Brian Dome was uh, in the Philadelphia area this weekend, uh, seven on seven tournament. Uh, our buddy Ed O'Brien has been running that one for a while now. Um, good to see some some guys running around and and just kind of feeling some normalcy there, but some some real talent uh, on hand on uh, I think it was Saturday or Sunday that you were uh, down in Conshohocken. Yeah, it was a good time. And you're right, man. It was great to see whether it was the Evolve kids from Pittsburgh or, uh, you know, some of the Philly guys or next level greats from Jersey. And then there happened to be this little team from, well, for me, it's central Pennsylvania. I'll probably get ripped for it from other people where it's not. But there was some kid named Anthony Ivy, another kid named Mackay Flowers. And and joining them was a Philadelphia kid named Ken Talley, which I'm sure Penn State fans know a little bit about those three. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think they've come up a time or two in this cycle. Uh, you and I were talking offline, and we've been following these guys, and it's funny because we've been following these guys for a while, but haven't really gotten a chance to get out and see them. So some changes, some physical changes, some, oh, that's right, oh, we forgot he was really, really good type things. Uh, and, and Anthony Ivey was the guy that blew you away. Yeah, it's funny because I was joking with with Anthony before I saw him play on Sunday, and I said, yo, I was supposed to come watch you play in your opener, and I called out there, and they cut the cap from 500 to 250 for the game, so I couldn't get in, um, and geez, I felt like on Sunday there were more than 250 people on one field, so um, actually getting back to some normalcy, but listen, when I, when I watched Ivy and you know, you see his highlights and you see how well he does, you know, just in game film and everything. But to see how thick he is and how well he runs and his change of direction. And he made a couple catches that were just, I mean, they were hard catches because he was running at full speed and the ball was, you know, knee level and he was able to bend and catch it. Um, it, it was impressive. I, I really came away from that thinking, boy, we, we got this one right with his ranking you know which is you know he's pushing to be in the top 100 for us on 247 sports and to be honest you know there's 60 plus teams there he's the alpha dog of the event and and i thought it was earned because he he tracked the ball well he caught the ball in traffic he made plays down the field he made plays short in the passing game and he really getting in and out of his breaks i was, I was sitting talking with one of the you know other other guys at the event watching him and they're like man you see how quick he changes direction can also get out of that break and i'm like yeah i mean it's what you wanted to see and so um it was great just to go out and 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 see these kids and and ivy really impressed me I think the easy comparison for Ivy for us, especially when we saw him in camp as a younger prospect, was Jahan Dotson, and it seems like he may have added some weight. I mean, what, what do you th- what do you think there? No, I, I I know that, but he's he's now much thicker in the upper body. Um, he, I, I think, uh, I don't. I thought Jahan was was kind of. I thought his body was a little bit slight coming out of high school. Um, I, I'd like to get some track times on him, um, but. He is more, geez, I'd, I'd put him closer to Godwin than I would um, Dotson right now just because of his strength, his route running ability, and his hands. 
that's certainly some some praise. I mean, it would be praise either way, uh, right. both phenomenal receivers. But uh, and and let's be clear, we're not lumping Anthony Ivy in as the next Chris Godwin, the next Jahan Dotson. Just I'm sure we, somebody here will, but no, we are not. I'll, we'll leave that to Tyler. But um, no, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's a situation where we haven't seen these guys for a while. You haven't also haven't seen Ken Talley. You haven't seen Makai Flowers in a while. Tally uh, puts up a picture, and uh, hey, look at this. He might actually be six three. We've been listing him at six three this whole time. We've said, hey, he's probably somewhere between six one and six three. He pops up. He's about your height. He is, and he's thick, but not. You know, he, he's got a good physique and he tell he told me he was at 240. He dropped down to 235 now. Uh he he just showed up because Makai and Anthony wanted him to come hang out for the day. So he did because they played Friday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at it and you say, you know, there's always questions, and that's why people are like, Why do you want to get out to see events? And there's so many different reasons, but one is to eyeball them and make sure their size is legit. And so see him and seeing his size um, really was something that was important for the weekend uh, just to see his his stature. And he moved well. You know, when he ran some routes, he moved well. He looked flexible. So for me, even though he's not out there catching passes, it was good to see him move. Yeah. And you you picked up some buzz from those guys. They seemed uh, just ready to be out of that cage and to to hang out with some guys that, you know, are are maybe their Twitter friends with or obviously commits in the same class. But it seems like they're out and about and trying to uh, trying to make that class grow. Yeah. I I mean, it's good to know that, like, if you're a Penn State fan, that this kid played a game on Friday and decided, hey, I'm going to, instead of, you know, just hanging out Sunday doing nothing, I'm going to go meet up with a few future teammates and have some fun and hang with them. And I think that's important. And then, you know, the buzz you get from from some guys there and, and talking to some other people is, you know, Penn State is recruiting Nicholas Singleton, the running back out of Redding, to, Redding uh, Governor Mifflin in PA. And he's got an official visit there. And he's got a few others set, um, I think, what is it? Notre Dame, Ohio State, maybe Wisconsin. So, so I'm, I'm old. So well. yeah, yeah. North, I'm old, so I may have forgotten one. But uh, you know, going into it right now, where things sit before you can get out on visits, everything I'm hearing out of there was Penn State sat in the best spot. Now again, things change with visits and all that, and I get that. Um, so I still, yes, folks, I still feel good with my crystal ball, but also. Um, Penn State's done a really good job with them, and it, it seems like playing closer to home um, is important to him. I, I'm not going to say it's the end-all, be-all, but I think there's a number of reasons why Penn State is doing well. And and when you look at you know not only Ivy and Tally, you know Bo Prabula recruiting, there's there's a lot of different reasons um, that. I'm hearing it. Singleton likes Penn State. There's a lot of pull there, certainly. Also, a lot of pull for a guy like Keenan Nelson, who you, I believe, have Penn State as the the front runner there. You got a chance yeah. to see him this weekend. I did get a chance to see him. He played more of a safety role. He looks good. You know, last time I was able to eyeball him was during the uh, geez 2019 season. I saw him play back to back weeks, and he is, you know, a he's good looking kid. He he grew a little bit. I think he has some safety size. I could see him playing corner or safety at the college level. I think he's a guy that can play nickel. Um, And he looked good driving on the ball. You know, from what I saw from him from the safety spot, he wasn't asked to really backpedal and flip his hips too much in in that setting. But he, he looked like he could accelerate, and I liked the way he moved in it. 
Stone, did you find the next big thing from Pennsylvania? I know, I know there were some guys from Western Pennsylvania that you got a chance to check out. But. The next big thing. <laughs> I just feel like that's such a cliche thing. I'm sure oh, that you're ripping not, somebody. It, it is dripping I'm, in cliche. No I'm, I'm sure you're ripping somebody, so I appreciate that. Um, but listen, I, when, I, when that Evolve team rolls in, out of Pittsburgh, you know, everybody, I'm sure anybody on Twitter knows Evolve, you know, two-tenths um, recruiting, and I mean, training and all that stuff. Let me tell you something. A, to see Tamir Robinson in person, the safety out of Brashear out in Pittsburgh, ay, 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 that kid. You, you want to you diagram how they're supposed to look? Yeah, that's how they're supposed to look. He moves really well. I mean, if... if if Ivy wasn't the alpha dog, Tamir Robinson would have been. Uh, I think there's a chance he'll grow into a linebacker. Obviously, he likes Penn State a lot um, with the Terry Smith connection and all that. But, you know, the other thing, and, and I know I texted you during the event to let you know, but, you know, Tyrese Fearby, who's also a kid out of Pittsburgh, who is really intriguing when you watch his film and, you know, He's got some official set up, including um, one to Penn State, another one, I think, to South Carolina. You know, it was always his film's incredible. He looks big on film, but you never know until you know. Well, after seeing him, he's 6'4 to 6'5. Now, he played receiver. He's not a receiver, but you can see how he moved. He's legit, man. He's he. Reminded me from a frame standpoint and a length and all that of, was it Cameron Brown, the kid out of Maryland that went to Penn State a few years back and then went to the Giants? Am I remembering that right? You are. That is the frame comparison for me. Um, And he's got the ability to, you know, put on some weight, but I, I was, I was, had heard from his trainers that his size was legit. I had heard from people out in Western PA, his size was legit, but you know, when you're dealing with stuff like this, it, you always want to see it for yourself. And so I was really happy to, to see that. And I think, you know, luckily I was able to interview him. So the folks on lines two, four, seven, will be able to read about that in the next day or two. But beyond that, um, he's a guy that Penn state fans should start really paying attention to because now that we know his size is legit um i I think that should excite penn state fans as this recruitment moves forward especially at a position like defensive end we put up our uh defensive end mini board uh i believe in late march and and fear is one of many guys that you're like okay is he is he six three is he six five is he this guy that we think can be a speed rusher can he bulk up and play at 265 you know it's just there's so many questions especially with a with a position like that where you've got long lanky guys you've got the the short stubby strong side uh you know almost defensive tackle guys where you're kind of all over the board and it's such an important position as we've seen over the last couple of cycles and and the more information that you can have especially at defensive end i mean it it obviously can go a long way in in determining which which way this uh this cycle can go at that position no without question and you look at him and, and so who is he he's the kid that you know is going to be six four to six five and could be anywhere from two 30, 235 to 250, depending on what you want to do with him. He's a guy that should be able to cover and drop back a little bit. And as you know, it's more now, you know, you want these guys who can be kind of like edge rushers 
is maybe drop into coverage a little bit. That's what you want from that position now, just so you can be a little bit multiple in what you do up front and also, you know, just change some schemes. And I think he's that kid. I mean, he he moved really well. Um, you know, watching watching him warm up and stuff. You know, I, I know I plays defense, um, but he he was fluid and he moved really well. I, I, I liked him a lot. Now, before we uh, move on to one more topic, uh, is there anybody else that jumped out? I know you've got your top performers list, which should be out by the time this podcast is out. Um, anybody else jump out to you, Penn State uh, interest or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, look at look at look at Western PA with some of the kids there. Um, Lamont Payne, a cornerback, Berg area, Cameron Chetham, who is really somebody to watch out there, underclassman from Western PA. I liked him a lot. I mean, you know, and then you, you go closer to Philadelphia again and and to Sierra Denmark, who's a 24 receiver at Roman Catholic. And you say, yeah, 24, whatever. And I get that. But, man, watching this kid move and, and play and, and Penn State is already on him and Rutgers is already on him. He is definitely a kid that should be a national recruit. Um, and it's, you know, for a while, Fitz, we've talked about oh, maybe Pennsylvania hasn't been producing a ton of high-level, elite, elite kids. And so if you can find one that's a receiver who you think is going to be that, um, I, I think he's worth looking at. And and then also keep an eye on Josiah Trotter because, you know, when you're doing the seven-on-seven stuff and you're doing top performers, it's really hard for linebackers to get in. And Quentin Moore, I mean, and Josiah Trotter both made it just because of how well they moved and and they did a lot of good things and um, just in terms of change of direction and movement and then Michael and you know he he's got Penn State in his top five and we'll see how hard Penn State pushes for him the the defensive and outside linebacker out of Delaware but he also looked really good moving in space um, so it, you know for me it was it was good to see these kids move. And Michael Wing, I'll tell you right now, um, I think he's probably just pushing six three, just from talking to him for a little bit. I'd like to, you know, hopefully he'll go to a camp and measure in and all that stuff. But just to watch these guys move, and, and Micah did a really good job with change of direction and space from a linebacker spot. So yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff to see. It was it was nice to be out. Wing seems, I mean, if he is six three, which you know, it, it you can play defensive end at 6-3, but it, you know, could he potentially be a linebacker? There's so many questions just seeing these guys. And, and obviously we're not the final decision makers on uh, where they're going to play, who's going to offer scholarships and everything like that. But just seeing these guys has so much value um, from a, from an evaluation standpoint. It's just, it's crazy to think how, how long we haven't got, we haven't had this. And now all of a sudden we're back uh, into the mix. Yeah. And you look at, so, so Mike, you look at 6-3 and it's not so much the 6-3, it's the length, right? And so, and and he's got the length. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a he's a plus five when it comes to to his length with his height, but you know he he he's got enough. He he's got the athleticism, and and you could see him playing in a couple of roles. Whether it's you know, to me right now, he looks more like a hybrid who can come off the edge and drop back into coverage, and, and that's fine. Um, he's he's got a frame that is. You know, to me, and I, I think I mentioned this last time I was on, to me, it's his frame reminds me of what of my recollection of Shaka Tony in high school. And, and like I said, I, I don't remember how tall Shaka was, but that's what 
my recollection was. And after seeing him this weekend, I still feel the same way. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, the Rutgers uh, reference a little bit. You kind of, it was kind of in passing. They've now got the number six class in the country right above Penn State's number seven. Now, numbers being what they are has something to do with that. But Correct. all of a sudden, Greg, Greg Shiano is doing a heck of a job there. Yeah, he is. And, and I think, you know, I, I was on a national podcast with Blair talking about it a little bit. And the one thing with Rutgers is, you know, you always – you saw them was in the Big East, and I think you know you go back to that Louisville game that every Rutgers fan wants to point to, and I think like eighteen of the twenty-one starters in that game, or twenty-two starters, wound up playing in the NFL. So you look at it and you say, okay, what can he do with the Big Ten? And and that's what the question is. And listen, aside from all that, for the first time in their existence they're they're paying market value for coaches and they have a deep you know a deep staff a deep recruiting staff of you know and, and a lot of guys joining the program to help behind the scenes and and that's what you need if you're going to compete in the big 10 so you know it's one class we're we're halfway through it we'll we'll see how it finishes um but you know, I, I think you'll probably hear their name mentioned a little bit more with kids in the region and top schools. But how, how'd they get the quarterback? I mean, did you watch Rutgers last season? Um, the kid wants to play early. Their offensive coordinator is creative, right? He's supposed to be a young mind. Who, oh, great coach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, who's, you know, was it Princeton did well there? I went to Oklahoma State. Rutgers bought him out of Oklahoma State to bring him to Rutgers, which again talks about the money. And so they've put together a good class with skill guys, but I mean, their quarterback play has, you know, it, it's been bad. And if you look at, you know, what other schools he was looking at, um, they had a lot more quarterback depth with Cincinnati and Kentucky. And, and it just goes back to it. Like they have a staff that, really does a good job recruiting. You know, Penn State fans always hear about Elijah Robinson with Texas A&M, and it drives them insane. And I get why. But Fran Brown is also a really good recruiter who has helped a ton. They have Augie Hoffman, who was at St. Joe's Montvale. Penn State fans, we remember, you know, Robert Martin, who went to Penn State, was from Montvale. Um, you know, they also have uh, Van Overs there, right? Vilbert Smith. Um, so guys, you know, they, they have guys that can really recruit and that's important. And they've spent, listen, man, they've spent a ton of time recruiting and, and working hard. And so, um, you know, that, that's how they were able to get the quarterback is they were just really diligent and the quarterback connected with them. I really didn't expect you to re lead with a Robert Martin reference out of St. Joe's Montville, but, but here we are. So. I did that just for you. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, uh, real quick before we get out of here, right. a report this morning from Dennis Dodd says the uh, the end of the dead period on the table this week. Um, is there light at the end of the tunnel there? There is, but it's like we spoke about last time. You know, let's see what it is because I spoke to a coach over the weekend about this, and they said when you're trying to set up what you should do to avoid, you know, having COVID in your program and kind of transferred from one person to another. It's 
you know, be careful with your meetings and keep space and do as little meeting in the same room as possible and don't eat together. Well, what do you do on official visits? That's all you do is eat and meet with the coaches. And so we'll see how schools handle it. We'll see if the NCA allows official visits. The one good thing about the NCA is, you know, they'll be right on top of it and make sure everything is clear with exactly what kids will be allowed to do. Oh. Um, and, you know, you know, if the deadline is through March, May 31st, I'm guessing about what May 30th at 430, they'll release what the rules really are. As long as that's a Friday, that's all that matters. So, uh, <laughs> all I know, listen, all I know is I look forward to whatever vacation you're going on June 1st. I cannot wait. I cannot <laughs> wait. Uh, Don, I know it's been two episodes in a row, but two really, really uh, information packed episodes. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, and you can catch Don on the site all the time. Uh, he's dropping knowledge like crazy on there. Um, and you find him on Twitter at Brian, Brian Doan 247. He's going to be out and about with some more events this spring. And we can't, uh, can't wait to bring him back on. Hey, appreciate the uh, five minutes you gave me today. <laughs> yes, yes. I did set you up for a five minute conversation. Not sure how long we've gone, but uh, I'm sure the people appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I always love being out with you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thanks for Brian. Thanks to Brian Doan once again for joining us. Uh, always good conversation when it's uh, when it's Doan on the horn. So uh, thanks for that. We we did mention the news of the week. I guess we could label it as 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 it seems like the NCAA is about ready to to move forward by opening up the dead period um, on June first. Obviously, such a huge thing. Uh, official visits, camps, uh, possible evaluation days. Which you know, if, if that comes to fruition. We'll talk more about that in future episodes because, because it can be a really, really big deal, um, for, for college coaching staffs. And we'll, we'll talk about what that entails, uh, if it does actually happen. Um, some official visit news over the weekend. Steve Wiltfong was at another camp in Ohio. Emil Wagner, offensive lineman from Ohio has set up his Penn State official visit. So check that out on the site as well. Um, but yeah, that's it, just a, sort of a light at the end of the tunnel, as Don alluded to, uh, finally getting to the point where we can start maybe playing planning our summer you mean we're almost caught up to that care on the end of the stick we're actually almost there because uh it's been a long time mr fitz it's going to be yanked away no <laughs> no question whatsoever um but no it's a it, it's it's almost there and like we mentioned i mean just the prospect of going to camps the prospect of seeing these guys in person um from a recruiting a recruiting standpoint it's pretty exciting yeah i mean we're gonna have feet on the ground and outside of philadelphia in a couple of weeks for that elite 11 camp we had brian doan attending the camp steve wiltfong attending the camp and I'm just thinking about where we were sitting last spring, wondering when the heck we would get a chance to see camps again. It's great for the recruits. It's great for us with what we do in coverage. And it's also extremely good news for coaching staffs like the one here at Penn State trying to glean information and the, and the latest insight about player development, player progress, and what better way to do that than to actually get these kids 
onto your campus once again, where you can meet with them face to face. And we're, we're looking at, you know, the, the June 1st launch, uh, of, of the post emergency dead period as, as just a substantial event that I don't think a lot of us have witnessed in college football because of the wait time. 15 months, Sean, when, when you go back to when the NCAA instituted this emergency dead period. So much has happened. You've had an entire class, the class of 2021, sign with their schools without ever getting a chance to, to use official visits. We'll find out about the ramifications of, of that for rosters in the years ahead. But here you go for your 2022 class and, and a program like Penn State where you've got plenty of that foundation already built up and you got a lot of that peer recruiting and networking done. This is where you're looking to capitalize in June with these official visits, with the chance to get guys to campus. And, and we're going to learn a lot more. The NCAA has a lot to explain on, on what the plan is for the remainder of the summer and what they what they plan to do and washing away some other dead periods. Are you going to open the door for, for camps? A lot to learn still, Sean. But when we talk about a dead period that was extended eight different times and you almost felt like the, the, the postponement was always around the corner for that date, for them to say May 31st, and, and this is not official yet, but anticipating it will become official this week at some point, to say May 31st is it, and then you get some sort of green light, may come with some caveats, it will come with some caveats. It's huge news, and it's and it's great for our listeners and, and, and our audience as well, because it's uh, going to give us a, a lot to dive into that we simply have not had the chance to do earnestly uh, in, in, in just about two years. Well, let's be selfish. It's great for us too. Oh, yeah. So we, we certainly can't, uh, ignore that. Um, but no, there, there's a lot to learn on many levels because is it, is it a sprint right into June? I mean, can you knock out three or four commitments from guys that you have visiting over the first couple of weeks in June? What's the hit rate look like? Do these guys want to dive into visits and then all of a sudden say, Oh, well, there's, there's several, uh, options nationwide that I want to check out, maybe on unofficials or, okay, that's a great, uh, base for my recruiting in terms of what I've learned about these campuses. Now do I want to wait until the fall and check out games? And on the flip side, these coaches, you know, you have a certain number of scholarships that you're working with. Do you press for this guy? Do you, you know, sort of get this guy on campus and, and, you know, he, maybe he moves down the board based on what you've, what you've experienced experienced over that weekend. So there's a lot to, of different angles that you could really work here. It's, it's going to be entertaining, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, it's it, a lot can change on this recruiting board over the course of a month and still don't know what they're going to do with July. Still don't know um, how things are going to ramp up into the season. Um, but until then, I mean, it's just uh, the, the fact that we seem to be one step closer to this June 1st uh, opening up. Is it, It's really uh, it's really a relief for a lot of prospects. And at this point, well, there, there's probably about a couple dozen names that have been, you know, put on that schedule for June and, and, and tentatively scheduled for those official visits over the course of these different weekends. And we spotlighted some of these weekends. And the last one of that month of June is going to be kind of a uh, reunion isn't even the right word because they haven't been together in one spot, but you're going to have a gathering of commitments. And then the preceding weekends, a bunch of priority guys coming through from in the region, from outside the region. You get some Florida guys up, some Texas guys in the mix. And Sean, you're putting together this tracker for the official visits. And there was uh, a little while there in, in late March into like early April as well, where it felt like just about every day you had somebody from somewhere in the country confirming their plans to check out Happy Valley in person. I mean, th that's what you got to do to get some of those guys, especially from out of the region onto campus. And I, I don't know because Don and I talked about it last week. What happens if they say, okay, you guys can, can take visits, but not official visits because you know, the schools are on the hook for these, these sort of things. 
So that's, I mean, that could change some things right there in terms of what, what the pool recruiting, what, what your recruiting pool looks like. Uh, you know, guys like, uh, Julian Humphrey from, from Texas and Jordan Allen from Louisiana, some of those Florida guys that you mentioned as well. So it's going to be, uh, I don't want to say you're kind of walking on eggshells waiting for that to happen, but if official visits aren't a possibility, that's, that certainly changes some things. But for a school like Penn State who has recruited the way that they've recruited, uh, basically for their history in terms of leaning on that, uh, region, uh, six hours Hours from campus and in, um, you still got a, t- a bunch of guys like like Denai Dennis Sutton, like Nick Singleton, those big fish that are still out there in the region that can still technically get to campus unofficially. So uh, all would not be lost, but uh, you certainly want to have those official visits if you're Penn State. Official visits are going to do a lot to provide clarity on where things stand with your big board. But how about actually building that big board, not just for the 2022 cycle, but certainly the ones beyond it, Sean? I think the next question is, what about camps? Uh, what about being able to assess talent and, 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 and be able to do that as a collective staff? Let's remember, um, about half this coaching staff has not been a part of a, a prospect assessment experience in Happy Valley where you're, where you're gathering as a group and you're seeing these guys and you're getting measurements and you're gathering that weekend to talk about what you just experienced. Um, you know, Taylor Stubblefield feels like he's been around here for a while. He hasn't been here for a Penn State camp. Add Phil Troutwine, John Scott. Uh, Anthony Poindexter, Ty Howell to that list as a position coach in Howell's case. And it's just a tremendous opportunity for any coaching staff, but I think it's particularly important, um, to be able to, 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 to have that experience and really get on the same page and maybe have some of those debates and arguments as a staff about who you like as the, as the, you know, as the final guy at a position that, you know, what's your cutoff? Who do you want? Who do you not want in terms of offered players? Uh, and, and those are the kind of uh, things you can hash out together coming out of these camps. And it's not something you've been able to experience as a staff and since 2019. Yeah. And, and I mean, what Taylor Stubberfield was hired in January. I don't know that he hosted an offered wide receiver. I know John Scott hasn't hosted any of his defensive line targets. Um, obviously that, you know, the new guys that have come in, Ty Howe and Poindexter, um, haven't, uh, haven't hosted any of their guys. So there's a lot of changes there. And, and you look at what's still out there. Um, not in terms of Penn State's board, but in terms of Penn State's availability for scholarships. Obviously, you're not going to take another quarterback, but you still want a couple of running backs. Wide receiver always open, as we talked about, I think, in the mailbag last week uh, because of that athleticism and that versatility. Offensive line still wide open. Defensive line still wide open. More of an emphasis on defensive end. Defensive tackle is still you know a little bit lower on the board for Penn defensive State. Defensive back. Defensive back, linebacker, everywhere basically is is open. And you you know you've got what seven or eight commits right now. So every space that you take from here, if you're if you're you know angling for a class of twenty guys or whatever, and that's still a very loose working number because you know you're you, you have to take into account the portal and things like that. Uh, every spot that you take for a position, you know, it's going to have an effect on somebody else. So that might change some things down the ride uh, down the line. I mean, you could say okay, you've got uh, three receivers right now, and maybe you only want to take four. Maybe you want, maybe you want to hold up with three. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where several things can move based on the feels that uh, the feelings that you get from these prospects, based on the evaluations that you get from some of these prospects, and and a, and a lot can change before now in the first game. 
We've still got about seven weeks before the, the conclusion of this dead period. So, uh, we, uh, let's see what happens. Let's see what the plan is. The NCAA, um, oftentimes can struggle to put, put out a cohesive plan ahead of time. So we'll, we'll be waiting in the nuggets, uh, and seeing what Penn State's going to be able to do, what they won't be able to do, um, and then get a better read off of that. It's certainly going to be a topic of conversation, uh, moving forward, uh, with, with this podcast and Sean. Moving toward the weekend with this podcast, we're going to get a chance to get back in Beaver Stadium. I know we're both excited to do that and um, you know, just get some eyeballs on this team, see what the guys look like on a football field. And it's going to be a scrimmage setting. It's going to be, you know, again, a, a glorified practice um, and, and not as glorified as usual because the blue-white game won't be what we expect it to be. But, Sean, going into the stadium Saturday, we're not going to leave knowing everything. I, I'm not sure what exactly we will learn. Um, but, again, that's practice number 15. And I think that at the, at the very base level, what we learned is that Penn State just got 15 practices in on the field together as a staff, as a roster. And, and that's just a major momentum swinger for, for, you know, not just them, but on campuses across college football. We're talking baby steps here after missing 50, all 15 last March. Uh, and let's be honest. I mean, we can fill the listeners in here. We don't know what to expect in terms of how they're going to run the practice, how they're going to run the scrimmage, what we're going to get out of it, what we're going to do. I mean, we're, you and I are going with the hope of doing some sort of show centered around the scrimmage. Do we get enough out of it for a show? I don't know. So we will see what happens uh, when we get out of there Saturday and try and make a plan going forward. We're not trying to hold you in the dark in terms of what's happening, but, uh, you know, we're we're pretty much right there as it is. Yeah. Well, we're just glad to get the invite and, and we'll see what we actually uh, encounter on Saturday. That'll be early afternoon. Um, you know, follow us on, on the website as well. We'll be certainly posting on the message board on, on some things we observe and we'll see what, uh, what comes out of it. And certainly we'll be, uh, the center of discussion on, on whatever podcast we do, uh, next up after this weekend. Um, Looking at the five-star mailbag, Sean, and it brings us back to the transfer portal. Um, the question here, by the way, you can put yours up there on Apple Podcast, uh, drop your five-star rating and review, throw your question in there. We could use some coming out of spring practice. There's some new topics to discuss, so don't be shy. Join the conversation by doing that. Question here, which transfer departure do you think Penn State will feel the impact of most in 2021? We mentioned a few at the top of the show, some guys that have found their home. Um, Sean, where does, where does the conversation take you here? I think it's worth noting again, a lot of these guys taking a step down in terms of the FBS competition, a few remaining at the power five level. And, and I'm, I go toward one of those guys, Will Levis now at Kentucky, um, because of what we don't know about the quarterback room right now. And that's something we've discussed at length on this show. Uh, to me on the surface, knowing what we know about this team uh, coming out of spring practice and almost coming out of spring practice. I lean toward Will Levis as being the one that 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 maybe you you're the absence stands out more than the others at this point. That's the way that I would go, undoubtedly. Um, just in terms of what you're looking at as competition for Sean Clifford in the spring. I mean, we're we're talking about uh, the potential of bringing in a, a portal quarterback to compete or do whatever he's going to do in the in the fall season. I mean, if Levis is still here, that that's that conversation has changed completely. So I think that that's the, that's the obvious one. Um, with CJ Thorpe, obviously, uh, you know, you're, you're getting Eric Wilson in on the interior line. So that kind of, 
negates that one in terms of, you know, I think you and I were both extremely high on CJ Thorpe, never really came together, but you know, you, you, you know, there's talent there and you, and you're going to lose on your offensive line, which is kind of the same story with Antonio Shelton is, I don't know if this guy was uh, going to be a star. I don't know if this guy was going to be a big contributor, a huge contributor or anything like that. But those bodies and those experienced bodies on the inside of that, on the interior of both lines are certainly ones that we, you know, would notably feel the impact of, uh, you know, moving forward. Um, Lance Dixon is another one that I still think has a ton of uh, growing to do, but I also think he has a ton of talent. Um, and you look at what Penn State's going with in this spring with five uh, five linebackers on scholarship that are healthy. Um, certainly could have used uh, Lance Dixon out there this spring. That's an excellent point. And and do you think James Franklin tells us last week that Curtis Jacobs is you know penciled in as the starter if Lance Dixon is still here on campus? I I think so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that, that's interesting to note too. Uh, C.J. Thorpe, by the way. Uh, just did a quick search. Still has not found a home. I wanted to make sure we, we didn't miss that along the way. But uh, yeah, ha- has not uh, p- found a spot as he continues his career. And he mentioned this when he transferred um, that he wants to play on the defensive line uh, moving forward in college football. Somewhere he played a little bit during the 2018 season uh, with Penn State football. So there are our thoughts. Uh, Will Levis uh, front and center here in 2021. And I think you make a great point with linebacker depth and really Lance Dixon still having all these years of eligibility ahead of him long term. He's the name that probably jumps out to me. Um, but so, you know, wide receiver, tight end, um, losing guys there that we talked about. We're not running toward that spot uh, right now based on what they have on the roster. Um, Sean, I think we'll leave it there with, with the podcast. Uh, leave it there with the mailbag. Anything else to add here is as um, again, we, we had a bit of a rundown and then you were like, I just spoke with Brian. Let's blow it up a little bit. Uh, so we have some things we're pushing toward later in the week. But anything else to add uh, before we get out of here this time around? Blow it up a little bit. Yeah, completely changed the, <laughs> yeah. the format of the show. And hey, it, it saved you some time as well. So, But no, I, I, I enjoyed the conversation we had with Brian. And hopefully we can get more timely stuff. I know that we're going twice a week uh, in the off season, So it's not always going to be the most exciting content that we can throw out there. But uh, anytime that we can get something that's timely, I think that that's something that we'll, we'll hop on and, and jump forward to. So thanks for thanks to Brian for joining us. And, and again, uh, I thought it was another uh, another quality episode. Double dip with Doan. We'll focus on the spring scrimmage coming our way and, and looking at some questions that we expect to linger beyond spring camp. Uh, that'll be coming your way later here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, back with the second episode this week. Then we're back in a Beaver Stadium uh, to finish things off on Saturday. So we'll talk to you real soon. On behalf of Sean Fitz, thanks again to Brian Doan. Thanks to you, our listeners. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.